0: Brought to you by Prep Matters and the book. What do you say? How to talk with kids to build motivation, stress tolerance, and a happy home.
1: You know whether it's you know getting yourself out of bed or even making your bed or 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 technology. We spent a whole chapter talking about that. It seems to us that our goal as parents and as educators, and your in your situation there, is not to help, is not to make kids be you know disciplined, but is to help them be
0: self-disciplined. How important are standardized tests? Why isn't my child doing well in school? Do you need a high school diploma to apply to Harvard?
1: Education is one of our most cherished institutions, but it can also be one of our most exasperating. And it's where almost all of our children go from toddlers learning their ABCs to critically thinking adults stepping out into the world. I talk with experts in helping teens and tweens navigate the transition to adulthood in order to bring you the tools you need to help grow resilient, self driven, and successful young adults. I'm Ned Johnson, and this is Prep Talks. Today, my guest is Katie Dunn. Katie Dunn is a college counselor and a colleague here at Prep Matters. She has more than 15 years of experience educating and advising thousands of students as a teacher, counselor, and administrator throughout the D.C. metropolitan region. Katie is a native Washingtonian and graduate of Georgetown University and the University of Maryland. She holds master's degrees, both English and art history, and she has extended her graduate study deeply in educational leadership. Katie serves on the alumni board of her alma mater, the Stone Ridge School of the Sacred Heart. She's a voting member of the National Association of College Admission Counseling, NACAC, and the Independent Educational Consultants Association. Most importantly, I've enjoyed her work as a colleague for years and she is my office neighbor. So Katie, welcome to our program.
2: I'm so excited to be here, Ned. We are today turning the tables a bit on how we typically do the Prep Talks podcast. Today Ned is going to be our guest.
1: Ooh, in the hot seat.
2: Despite his his extensive experience as host, I'm going to have a chance today to talk with him a bit about kids and parenting teenage brains and how, in general, as adults, we can help all of the kids in our lives learn, I think, truly to trust themselves, to take risks, and to seek their own path. Now, I spend a lot of time with families telling them that including me in the mix means they are outsourcing a lot of the nagging, a lot of the anxiety. Um, But I have had a chance over the the 20 years or so to work with a ton of families. And I've never met one who doesn't want their children to be successful and happy and confident. Um, And yet, we find ourselves hitting roadblocks all the time. And so, Ned, ultimately, I want to get us to the talk really about kind of Happiness and success—I think that's kind of the the end goal. Um, but I would love to talk really where you begin in your in your new book um, with how we help ourselves kind of remember what it's like to be a teenager. How we help ourselves navigate just conversations about what is important, what is stressing out, what is what is going on in our kids' brains, um, and how we have empathy for that when sometimes it probably doesn't doesn't feel quite as natural.
1: I, I have a, uh, a a student who at one point turned to, turned to her parent and said, um, you know, it's been a long time since you had the brain of a teenager. <laughs> and it's, it's true. I mean, it, it is, um, you know, parenting has never been easy. And I, you know, I, as you, as you know, I'm the uh, parent uh, with my w- wonderful, lovely wife, Vanessa, of a 17-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old son. And it's not easy, in part because the world that we are trying to parent in feels a lot more stressful and the world that they're growing up in feels a lot more stressful. And sometimes uh, out of our you know abundance of parental love and concern, we approach things with our kids that ultimately aren't that Aren't as successful or as effective as we want it to be. And so that's why we wrote this book, What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. It really builds on lessons from our book, The Self Driven Child, but really, which is a lot of language about how can we do those things with our kids? How can we be effective in our communication with them? And, and the first chapter starts with empathy and validation because we have a tendency when people bring issues to us, concerns to us, to jump in and start giving advice, which you should do this, or you should do that, or should do the other thing, or to try to talk them out of those hard feelings. And the problem is that logic doesn't calm hard emotions, feeling listened to and feeling understood. Katie, I shared on a interview a few weeks ago, there was a, a period over the summer where uh, we had a bit of a kerfuffle here and, and something that was, as you we both recall, not easy. And I called you up to share with you this news and you're like, oh, that sucks. And that was exactly what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear, well, you know, if we do this or this or, you know, three years from now, no one will even care. It'll be fine. You know, all of which was true. It it, it was going to be fine and it is fine. But in that moment when I was just, I was so mad and so frustrated, it was so helpful for you just to say, man, that sucks, is the way that I can help.
2: I love when you tell that story because it makes me sound like I have such empathy.
1: You are, Or, or you fake it real good.
2: <laughs> well, and I think parenting is a lot like that too. Sometimes there is this fantastic feeling that you said exactly the right thing and, and it worked and you are killing this parent thing. And then other times, like you think you said the right thing and it, it was clearly very much the wrong thing. Um, several years ago, I was helping my niece get ready for her first uh, homecoming. And I had taken dozens and dozens of photos of this event because it was a huge deal. And she's my oldest niece. And we walked out fully ready to go and her father reached for his camera and she lost her mind and said, you're not supposed to take pictures of me without my permission. You know that I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. And and so he had no idea what she was feeling, nor did I have any idea why she was feeling that she wasn't able mm. to, um, that she didn't have control over kind of how this was, how this was playing out. Um, and, and in many ways, it's just easier, I think, to be an aunt.
1: And if uh, I can jump in there, you know, that your, your, your point is such a good one that, um, we can be faced with situations where we don't know what the right thing to say is, or we think we do know what the right thing is to say, and it blows up on us. Um, and particularly in those situations where, you know, you're sitting like, I'm just taking a picture, da-da-da. Um, we borrow uh, a concept from a guy named Iran McGinn, who's this uh, Israeli researcher, he's with, now at Yale, uh, who's really this guru on, on parent-child uh, communication. And he introduced to us a, a term he calls wigging, which stands for what I got is. And it really is just, it, it's the latest iteration of what in psychology is known as reflective listening. And just the idea, if, if I feel heard, if I feel understood, that, that that calms my heart emotions and actually puts me in a position where I can better than solve problems for myself or or even just put things into, into a more healthy um, perspective. And so wigging looks something like, you know, your kid comes and tells you some, you know, terrible thing. You know, I, I got in a big fight with Jenny and then I said something on their social media, but then she totally overreacted and now she's, you know, flamed me on every social media and no one's talking to me. And as parents, our natural inclination is, well, what did you say to her? Like, okay, it must somehow be your fault if you avoid that in the future. Or, well, did you apologize to her yet? And again, we're missing that opportunity. And to be clear, validating and using this "what I got is" tool, it doesn't mean that you agree. So it might be something like, so, so. Let me just repeat that back. So, so, because I, I just I want to make sure that I understand this. So, you got in a in a fight with, with 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 Kelly, and you said something that that she really that upset her pretty much. And then she went on social media, and and really took you out and said things that were just as hard or even worse. And now now everyone's mad at you. Do I have that right? Yeah, you have that right. Well, it's that again that experience of feeling understood that w- one calms hard emotions, but also it what- br- it's what brings us closer to each other and one of the great concerns all of us in education all of us as parents have is this just seeming, you know, ever increasing uh, uh, epidemic of stress and stress-related disorders in young people. And because we know that a close connection between a kid and a parent, a kid and a caregiver is about as close as you get to a silver bullet, we want to really, we want to foster that ability for kids to bring hard problems to us so they have somewhere to go, but also so we get that deeper connection. And the way that we get close to people is really just by sharing hard feelings and having go, oh, that sucks. How can I help?
2: You know, something else that you quote from, from Magen is the, um, one of the pitfalls I find I often have in building empathy is, um, not so much the giving advice, but the, the, appearance of empathy by saying, oh, I totally understand what you're feeling. Mm. That exact thing happened to me once yeah. and it made me so mad. And of course that does lead to, and this is how I handled it or now I'm fine, so it's not a big deal. Or yeah. And it just sort of, uh, the way you put or the way he put it and the way, the way that you guys quoted it, I think really resonated with me. But it is tough for me to get out of that piece when I'm trying to build empathy because it feels like saying, well, we have a shared human experience should be along that road. How do we navigate that? Kind well,
1: of you know, it's a great point. And it, and it certainly makes me think of the great work of Brene Brown, uh, you know, daring greatly. And and she had, you know, before it became a, a, the hashtag for Harvey Weinstein and, and and all those difficult situations, but but simply the idea of me too, me too. Boy, Katie, you know, I've, I had that too. Um, and I think it just takes, it's, you want to take real care because the, the, the tendency to want to share our, our, our similar experience and and create that connection or express, you know, that, 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 that shared experience. When done well, it does that really well. And when done poorly, it feels to kids like we're pulling the spotlight from them to us. And to your point, then trying to transition and look at the happy outcome and look, I'm great now. But it also can have the effect of, Conveying to kids, not intentionally, but that we really can't handle their hard feelings, right? That, that, that in many ways, when I bring a challenge or a kid brings a challenge to me, you, you, you want to kind of hold space and just sit there and be with that. And you could say something like, you know, I, when I was your age, I had something that was really pretty similar. And I remember how hard that was. You know, if you, if you, I'd be, I'd be happy to tell you about that if, if, if now feels like a good time. And if they say, yeah, then you, you move forward with it. But, but it's, um, it's hard because when people are in distress, as mammals, we have a natural inclination to want to fix the thing and sort of get rid of the distress, partly because it's distressing to us, right? Mm-hmm. And we oftentimes can 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 turn the page, can change the channel in ways that seems to move past it, where it's really just we've moved past it. <laughs> And it's not, it's not, I mean, and I, and I, and I say this understanding that, that for some people, it's really easy to do that. For some people, it's hard. Um, but, but I would say in those situations, if you use that reflective listening tool, that helps a lot. And then rather than jumping in to give advice or to solve it, you know, say, is, is there, is there a way that I can help? I did this last time. My daughter, who I've talked to a lot about, who's now a senior in high school. And she's complicated because she's so much smarter than I am, and she's stubborn and she's intense. And when she gets upset, she's not very communicative, and so it's hard because I can see that she's really upset, and I want to—I want to get to solving it right because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm put on this earth to solve people's problems, right? And so, literally, just last night, I have no idea what she was. I've none She gave me nothing. And I, I looked, I, I said, are, you know, are, are you okay? And she shrugs her shoulders. That's the best that I get. And I said, well, you know, is there a way that I can help? And she shrugs her shoulders again. And I said, well, it, it sure looks like you're upset about something. If there's anything I can do, will you let me know? And she shrugs her shoulders. And I said, well, is it cool if I check back in a half an hour to see that things are Okay nods, I walk away. And 15 minutes later, she's walked downstairs and she's helping to make dinner. And I, have, I still have zero idea what happened, right? And partly, It's none of my darn business, right? Unless she wants to share, and chances are, it was something with a friend or whatever. And you know, my my partner and scribe, Dr. William Sticksrude, who's you know clinical neuropsychologist knows a whole lot more than I do, made a really terrific point a couple years ago. He shared with me said one of the really important outcomes we want of childhood and adolescence is for young people to be able to soothe themselves to be able to solve their hard feelings. And they do that with our help. If they feel overwhelmed, do they reach out to the Paltati or they talk to Ned or mom or dad or whatever it happens to be. But if I constantly felt like I had to be there and and, and always be the one helping her through this, Rather than making myself available I'm here as a resource if she wants it she needs to be developed this tool for herself, so that when she goes forward out into college and relationships and life and stuff that she has a sense why well, I, I can I can handle this It's not easy but i can, but I can do it
2: oh it's so smart. I will say I had breakfast with my father on Friday, and he um, he's you know i'm a grown up lady and he respects me a lot, and I ordered. An egg sandwich and I asked for my eggs scrambled and he couldn't help it. He said, Oh, I asked for my, I'm sorry. I asked for my eggs over easy and he couldn't help it. He said, but that's going to make such a mess. And you're wearing a nice shirt. You're dressed for work. And don't you think? And then he stopped himself. He said, ne- never mind. I think, I'm sorry. I think you can, you can probably order your breakfast by yourself. And I'm sorry. And, and let's just move on.
1: <laughs> I, 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 love that. that. I remember it makes me think about it early on when I was driving my wife and, and she, you know, was like, ah, she, I drive more, I'll, I'll say assertively, uh, than she does. And, and at some point I turned to, her, I'm sort of like, sweetheart, have you taken note of the number of days that I get home Every single day, you know, with a car seemingly still intact, right? So, how many? You know, <laughs> I can reach out to your dad and let him know that yes, in fact, Miss um, yep. Dunn does show, you know, not not appropriately tired and not besmirched, you know, to work. Exactly.
2: <laughs> Usually, I'm fine. Right. Um, what I love about what you said, too, Ned, in sort of embedded in that conversation with children or with students or with our own children is um, asking their permission to to be a part of it. To 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 be a part of the emotion, to offer advice, to whatever. Not 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 always asking them how to do it because they might not know what they need. But asking them, do you want me to be a part of this? Are you ready for me to have this conversation? And I think that is... Um That is a really smart strategy embedded in all of this.
1: And part of that is, you know, we talked about in the self-driven child about the importance of young people having a sense of control over their own lives, right? And so it's both a sense of autonomy, right? Subjective sense of autonomy and the brain state that supports it because a low sense of control is really the most stressful thing that we can experience. So if, if, if your child has really hard, something that's really hard, right, to talk about, and the, and they're they're really apprehensive about bringing this to you or not. It helps enormously if they have the sense that they can share as much as they want, right? And and that they can step back away and say actually that's enough for now. Like I mean, a great therapist will 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 will, will you know said we're going to and, and push me a little bit. And when they see me getting tight, you back off a little bit. But in that situation, it's so easy as parents thinking if only they would hear the thing that I have to say. If only they would listen. If only they would do this, then it would all be better. And again, it's born out of love and it's born out of concern. It's born out of wanting to help. Right. But it's so much more likely that a person, a young person will keep bringing, you know, or anyone, a spouse, you know, from the other day was was saying, does this work for husbands? And I'm like, yeah, it works for husbands, right? <laughs> you know, that if I respect the boundaries and the and the sensitivity of the other person, like, you know, mom, dad, that's, uh, I, I hit my limit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw for now and maybe we can do this later. And that's exactly what to say to Kim, yeah. maybe, maybe later. Okay, maybe later.
2: And I, and I think as adults, it's important for us to realize where helping does cross the line into controlling. Because mm-hmm. we, are, we are so worried about, you know, I think there's so much stress in being a parent, certainly in this town, but probably everywhere <laughs> in this day and age. Um, years ago, I spent um, I had, I had a, a sophomore history class that one of my teachers was teaching when I was principal. And there were 23 students in the class and 17 of them were were boys who were on the football team together and who had been friends since they were born, essentially. 17 of them. So it was a disaster. The class was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> the boys met well, but they were 15, and they didn't know how to pull it together, and the teacher didn't know how to pull it together. Um, so we had some meetings, and we had some conferences. And, and in, in one of them, uh, one of the, the parents, uh, who, who is a, a very active, loving, loving, engaged mom, said to me, I, this is ridiculous. I will just come in. I will handle it. I will come in, and I will, I will, they will all be quiet. I will make sure they are all quiet. And I just was like, you know, that actually probably would work. I'm pretty scared of you. And I'm sure those 17, 15 year old boys are pretty scared of you. Um, But that's actually not the answer here. We need them to know how to regulate. We need them to know where they get to be all about being buddies and where they have to be focused in history class. Um, And I think that that challenge for parents is really tricky.
1: I love that. I love how you made that point, Katie, because you know whether it's that type of situation, or you know getting yourself out of bed, or m- even making your bed, or 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 technology, which we spent a whole chapter talking about that. It seems to us that our goal as parents and as educators, and your in your situation there, is not to help, is not to make kids be you know disciplined, but it's to help them be. Self-disciplined, and if I can only pay attention under the threat of someone's, you know, <laughs> draconian mom, that's not, that's 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 a great short term, but long term, it's kind of it's kind of a problem, you know. And, and I, I'm thinking back to the uh, um, Ron McGinn, who talks about relationships and where they have kind of a positive aspect to them or a negative aspect to them. And he said we make deposits in our relational bank accounts by showing care and respect. And so the challenge is, I, I love, I, I'm so concerned about you. I care so much about you. I need you to do this thing. But if it's not leavened with a, with the right amount of respect, then this wonderful advice, kids feel like it's being done to them, not being done with them. Um, and it is, I mean, you know, this is a, is a former school administrator, getting buy-in from kids. It's hard, but it's incredibly important. And, and we talk about this in the communication, all these first chapters about simply just seeking buy and asking advice, asking permission, because then you're, then we have the, the chapter about the language of a parent consultant. And if people haven't read the first book, we, we we suggest this idea of parents moving in the direction of rather than being their kid's boss, their manager, the margin at the, the the police, they move in the direction of being consultant. So rather than I need to make you pay attention, you ask a question like, how can I help you pay attention because I can see that this is hard for you, right? And you're not trying to be a pain in my neck. But that's what it feels like. But how how can we how can we work together to make this go better for both of us?
0: Thanks for listening to Prep Talks. Today's episode is sponsored by the book What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. The authors Dr. William Sticksrud and Ned Johnson have 60 years combined experience talking to kids one-on-one, and in their latest book, they share new ways to handle specific and thorny topics. Things like delivering constructive feedback to kids, discussing boundaries around technology, anxiety from current events, and more. What Do You Say is a manual and a map that provides specific, science-based guidance for communicating effectively with children, teens, and young adults about the topics that matter most.
2: One of the one of the, the pieces you put into that uh, the discussion of kind of parent as sort of stepping back and being in the in this role in my child's life where the role is in fact empowering, um, you I think you open that chapter with one of my favorite lines: "If you want to be independent, you've got to listen to me." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, it makes me laugh every time. Like, <laughs> okay.
2: Right. Um, and I, I, again, I think we we live our own lives through our own point of view where where yeah. I'm the I'm the star of my story. And I've learned some lessons. I've learned some things. I've made some mistakes. Um, my uh, my little sister once had a friend of mine as a high school teacher, and he was one of those high school teachers who thought it was great to share all of his bad choices he had made. So they would learn from him. So she would come home and say, so were you at the party where like so?
1: Um, so we have a former I, colleague who said, no one is completely useless. Anyone can serve as a bad example.
2: There you go. Exactly. Um, so, but I love the story you offer, um, where you're talking about where, um, where the word that separation for parents where but we're not managing it, um, causes such stress for parents. And I think you give an example that I just was was sharing with one of my families in a conversation recently um, about a sort of experiment where students <sighs> are working on yeah, something yeah. tough and mo- I think moms are watching. Can you, yeah, can you walk us yeah. through that? This
1: is a wonderful researcher named Jessie Borelli. She's out of University of California at Irvine. It's worth reading her stuff. She's a, she's a, she's a researcher on parental over control. <laughs> And she's just horrific. Uh, and so in this experiment, they have kids, it's pre-COVID, they have kids doing some kind of a digital puzzle and it's on a computer and they have a parent along there for ostensibly for, for, for encouragement, for help. But, but they're given one instruction and it's just don't tell your kid what to do and say, sweetheart, you're doing a great job or whatever, but don't say, you know, move left, move right, whatever, whatever. So there's a little bit of a, it's a little mean because the puzzle looks really simple, right? And they, my parents, I'm sure, all think, my kid's a genius. This is going to be awesome. The kid's think, and I'm going to make my mom proud. But it's actually pretty hard. It's actually kind of devilish. And so the seconds pass, the minutes pass, and frustration sets in. And then stress sets in, And the moms are, who are, you know, they've spent their lifetime watching their kids and they can see that they're getting distressed. And as they see their kid gets distressed, they get distressed because it's hard to button your lip, bite your tongue and sit on your hands. And then every last one of them is, sweetheart, no, 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 over to the, maybe a little bit to the right, right? You know, and, and starts giving this advice. Here's the cool part. Mom has a heart rate monitor off. So does her kid. And as mom jumps in and finally feels a sense of control, no longer helpless, hopeless, powerless, right? Jumps in, her heart rate goes down. Her stress decreases as her kids goes up. And one of the things that if we if we reflect on even things like have you done your homework well are are you doing that to get your kid to do their homework? Or are you saying that because you just want to hear that it's done because then you don't have to worry about it and it is it is a challenge i mean we, 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 the, the chapter after the parent is consultant is a parent is a non anxious presence which makes people like howl with with laughter, but it is um if we can remind ourselves, you know, one, you couldn't make your kid do their homework if they absolutely didn't. They could just lie flat on the floor. What are you going to do? Duct tape them to a chair. And so once we accept that, then we start thinking about, well, what's most effective, right? And, And whose, whose life is this? Whose problem is this? Whose responsibility is it to do this work? And so when we think of ourselves as a consultant, it actually, at first it's hard, but then it's incredibly liberating in their self-driven child. We tell a story about my son when he's in middle school and some assignment had gone undone, missing whatever it was. And and Vanessa, as you know, my wife is a, you know, educator, self-Latin teacher, super organized. And she kind of turned, well, why did you hand this in or whatever? She was helping him with some work. And and he, you know, sort of bites back and said, because you didn't remind me i like, oh boy, this is not a good answer, pal. Um, and sort of intercede and say, "Look, Matthew, you don't, for one, we don't throw mom under the bus. <laughs> it's a really bad play. And two, dude, this is your work. She's, she's already done fifth grade. I've done fifth grade. And I said to her, I said, sweetheart, I can, you can kind of understand, I mean, it was rude, but you can kind of understand where he'd come from, right? Because she, you kind of do, you always remind him and me and, and everyone else because you're so on top of things. But if we want him to be independent he has to do this stuff for himself, and we, when this really worked hard to 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 embrace his ideas of being a parent as a consultant, and then he rewarded us with things like fifty-two on a history quiz, because history test, mind you, because oh yeah, I'd studied the wrong test, but you know what? That was a natural consequence of not being on top of things. And we, is there? Can I help? Would you want me to check? You know, and we were always, always, always available. But he figured this out because, you know, Matthew has ADHD and is dreamy and as lovely as a kid could possibly be. But we knew that we're not too many years away from his going off to college with a freaking suitcase full of our money. And he had to learn how to do these things for himself. And I will tell you that in his first year of college, he got more A's than I, maybe than all four years of college. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> he certainly exceeded. I think he met his expectations and, and, exceeded, and exceeded, exceeded mine. Um, but it's 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 not easy to do, but it's incredibly incredibly effective way to help our kids.
2: Well, and I think that's the one of the real um, real kind of pivot points for a lot of parents. I have a ton of friends and family whose parents whose children are in older elementary school right now, um, and so I get a lot of "You're a teacher" questions from them. Um, and my best friend's daughter is um, just not a fan of homework, not a fan of reading, mm. just doesn't love a lot of the things that I actually do kind of love. Um, and so her mom is often doing a little more overcorrection than I think is helpful, mm-hmm. because then neither the child, then then the teacher doesn't have a chance to help the child learn, and the child doesn't have some of those some of those natural consequences. And I'm not I'm not you know knocking my friend's parenting; she's mm-hmm. a wonderful mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this we we try you know when we say I want to be a non anxious presence, mm-hmm. I naturally want to decrease the anxiety in my child's life, particularly when we are living. In a world that is full of anxiety, um but that's not the same thing as wanting an environment that is devoid of stress theres mm. there's there's a stress in getting fifty two on a test i hope yep, I hope that was yep. stressful
1: yep yep, I
2: hope he didn't enjoy it yep and so so you you need to have i think as a parent you want to have that balance um and how do you do that how do you how do you manage that intersection between non-anxious present, I'm not I'm not judging, I'm not over managing, but that that also means that like sometimes you're gonna get cut from the soccer team.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are I think there's a really good question, Katie. I think there are a few points in there. One is to take the long view. Think about you know, where do we want kids to be you know, three years from now, 13 years from now? Um, and it's so easy to extrapolate that a, you know, a 52, my, is my kid going to have a 52 life? And, and we, we all fall into these, these cognitive biases of catastrophizing, of fortune telling, like we know how things are going to work out. But in our experience, kids want to be successful. They want their parents to be proud they want their teachers to prove them. they want to do well. But when we step in and, and manage things, then kids can get the sense that someone other than themselves is responsible for their success. Someone other than themselves is responsible for getting this done. Like my son, why didn't you do because you didn't remind me. And we, we, we want to change the energy on that. And so if we can take the long view and remind ourselves that whose problem is this? And I say that in a lot of parents, it makes them crazy. The first time Bill ran that by me, I was like, but, 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 but like, but I've really had time to reflect on that, that this, this isn't my, this is my son's school and it's his life to live. And if we, if we, if we take a half step back as well, that in addition to wanting our kids to work hard and to do well even more than wanting them to work hard, we want them to want to work hard, right? If they're only working hard, because we're on top of them, remind them, remind them, remind them, remind them, we're wiring brains for an extrinsic and external locus of control of risks and, you know, and and punishments of of carrots and sticks, sticks and carrots, I guess, um, as opposed to intrinsic Motivation. So, we, in the for self-driven child, and we talk about this in what he say as well. The model for developing autonomous or intrinsic motivation has three core psychological needs: one, a sense for, of competency; two, a sense of relatedness or connection; and three, a sense of autonomy. And so, when we say, you know, you know, this homework's so stupid. Well, no, but here, this is why you got to do it. We're jeopardized. we're undermining all three of those because we're, we're telling the kid that they're wrong. We're saying what they have to do. There goes the autonomy. The relatedness piece has gone out the window because we're siding with a stupid worksheet, right? And in some ways, we could also be telling the kid that he's incompetent because without us, would this ever get done? And so when I have students working with an academic, this is the stupidest thing in the world. I said, boy, I can sure see why I think that. What, what about this makes you most nuts? Right, and what happens is it doesn't convince them to not do the work. They come back around to actually doing the work, and here's why: we we talk in the book about the insights of what's called motivational interviewing, and this was Steve Rolnick, William Miller, and Steve Rolnick, who are psychologists who worked with problem drinkers in the '80s. And what they found was with the problem drinkers, when they start telling them well, that if you don't stop drinking, you can lose your house, your your, your spouse, your, your your job, your health, everything else, as though I needed another reason to not do the thing, it didn't work. They just dug in their heels. And the same thing works with kids. If you start telling them the reason why this is so important, they'll start telling you why it's so stupid or it's impossible to do or whatever. And when, so when we put, because we're all ambivalent, you know, if a kid has got C grades, it's not lost on them, that if the B's would be better, A's would be better, they'd feel better, everyone would approve, yet it's not lost on them. But if you start telling them like, all the reasons why it's necessary to do this, they argue all the reasons why it's so hard, you know, because, you know, I could work really hard and I could still come up short, you know, I'd, I'd have to play less Xbox, all these different things. And so when I sit there and say, I can see why it's really irritating, right? And I don't try to talk kids out of it. They get to have to struggle with the pros and cons of that. And in my experience, my kids, kids always come around. Eventually, they always come around. Because again, they want their lives to work out. Who doesn't? Who wants to go to school every day and feel unsuccessful?
2: Right. And, and I suspect that probably those pieces are are sometimes this moment is more about relationship. <sighs> sometimes this moment is more about competency. And the 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 totality of my child's experience needs to be about all the things because you're able to grow in all the things. The student that I, I've told you about dozens of times that always sticks in my head is a young man who several years ago um, was actually also a sophomore, apparently sophomore boys <laughs> are, uh, are where we learn a lot of these lessons. Um, That's and he, he was... Yeah, he was he was he was struggling a ton in in reading and he was in his regular English literature class with um, a great teacher and he was in a sort of reading lab class a little bit of extra time for some students who wanted to, to strengthen their skills and his reading lab class uh, had a teacher that he just did not connect with they could they just couldn't figure it out they were both trying and they couldn't make it work and um, and she frankly didn't think he had it in it she just she thought he was a brat. She thought he was lazy. She didn't think it was going to work. The, the regular English teacher, which was a much more challenging class, um, really believed in this kid, connected right away, had a great relationship, really was able to kind of nudge him in the direction of just give it a little extra effort, mm-hmm. just show what you know. Um, but he was, meanwhile, he was failing this, mm-hmm. this lab class. So it wasn't, wasn't good. So he was in my office and I said to him, What's going on? You are great with Miss V. You are, you are on it. You're, you're getting your homework done. You're on time for class. You're participating. You have a B in your English class and you're failing this class with Miss G. What's happening? And he said, it took us a while. And he eventually said really quietly, well, she thinks I'm dumb. And I said, well, do you think she's right? And he said, yeah. Mm. And so he, and, 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 I of course said, well, I don't. And Miss V doesn't. We don't think she's right. We're really good at our jobs too. And so, but, but there was, there there was nothing, there was sort of no hope in that, in that experience because he, he didn't have any competency. He didn't, he didn't feel like he was accomplishing anything and he wasn't getting anything done in that class and he had no relationship. And so then it was a class that I was forcing him to take. So he also had no autonomy Hmm. and he had all those things in the other class. Now, Ultimately, this kid graduated from high school with a B plus in IB English, but he could only do it in an environment where he was able to hit all of those things.
1: Mm. It makes me. I heard a talk some years ago by Jessica Leahy, who wrote The Gift of Failure, and, and recently The Addiction Inoculation, which is also a terrific book. And she, I forget exactly the point. She's saying when you talk to educators about what makes school work well, she said it's the three R's: relationships. Relationships, relationships. Yep. I mean, okay. Because when we think back about our teachers, I mean, you know, you know I guess suppose it's the you know, Maya Angela that we forget what people do for us. We forget what they say, but we remember how they make us feel. And imagine a person who says, you know, who makes you feel stupid or a person who says, I can see this is really hard for you, but I have every confidence that you can do this.
2: You used to always say, I can teach you how to teach. I can't teach you how to respect your students. Hmm. Um, So I did want. I want to get to the to the part that I think every parent is sort of starting and ending with in all of these conversations is I just want my kid to be happy. Hmm. Many years ago, when I was leaving my uh, fancy Ivy League PhD program and feeling like a failure and carrying all of the weight of all of that feeling, um, I I said to my mom, "I don't, I don't think I want to do this anymore," and she said cool don't do it like great don't do it anymore. <laughs> do something else and I said are you going to be disappointed in me if I don't have a PhD and she looked at me like I had just said what if I were to drive a Mack truck through the front door would that be cool She was <laughs> baffled and she said you looked miserable when you got on the plane and train last weekend I just want you to not be miserable I don't care if you have a PhD. Yeah. And her saying that took all of the weight off. I had no idea how much I had been worried that I was going to disappoint her. Um, but ultimately, that is what parents want, right? We want our kids to be happy. Um, how do we get in the way of that so badly sometimes? Oh, well,
1: it, <laughs> it, yeah, it, I mean, all sorts of things. I mean, some of them, again, it's- <laughs> I think the assumption, some of the default assumption is, um, you know, I want my kids to be happy and I know if they're successful, that they'll be happy. So I'm going to do everything necessary to make sure they're successful, no matter how miserable I, they are. <laughs> right. So we were, Bill was given a lecture at, a, at an independent school in Dallas um, and talking with a bunch of student government leaders and asked them, how many of you want to be happy as, as, as adults? And they all kind of sheepishly raised their hands like, duh. He duh. said, well, what do grownups tell you is, 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 what is it necessary to be, to be happy as, a, as an adult? And this kid raises his hand. and said, well, they, they all say something like, if you go into, if you get into a good enough college, then everything else will fall in place. And Bill thought, my goodness, you know, it, they couldn't be more wrong. And I say this understanding that your, your work is helping kids get into college with their dreams and mine, you know, with these silly tests that seem to be part of that process. But w- w- there's actually a whole science about this, right? You know, to your point about misery, you know, the first 100 years of psychology were how do we decrease misery? And then several decades ago, a guy said, why don't we pay attention to actually what's the psychology of happiness? What's known as positive psychology? So it's Martin Seligman out of Pennsylvania. And he, there's a, there's actually a formula for it. It's lovely. It's PERMA. So P is positive emotions, E is engagement, R, relationships and meaning, and A is achievement. And achievement does bring us, you know, you get into college, you, you, know, you get a raise, you get an award, you get accolades, blah, blah, blah. And those, you know, when the, when the game, whatever, those things are great, but it's only 20% of the equation, right? And so when, there, gosh, there's a story in the, in, in the book, I had a young woman I was working with, all the junior and then coming back to, to take the test one more time in senior year. And I asked her, I said, I'm just curious, what do you like to do most in the world? And she paused and she thought, and she was very quiet and she said, I have no idea. I spend all of my time trying to meet other people's expectations of me. I really don't know. Now, fortunately, she was doing things that actually gave her enjoyment, but she, you know, a sense of meaning and, and engagement, but she didn't quite realize it. But she kept talking about this thing at her school was a kind of a fashion show where they would design stuff, design clothes, and then their friends would do this runway show with their, with their clothes. And so the second time she brought it up, I thought, this is pretty important to her. So I kept just asking questions, how's it going, did it out. And then I managed to sneak in, didn't tell her, sneak into the show. And sit in the very back and as her show went on, her friends were walking around and I can't even remember what style it was. I'm sure it was fabulous because I'm not, not fashionable. Uh, but here's the thing. And so, and I brought her flowers and everything was super fun, but I, by dumb luck, sat right behind her mother. And when this young woman's friends were showing her, walking her, her clothes on the runway, mom had her nose in the foam not taking pictures like your uh, (laughs) (laughs) kid you mentioned before, not taking pictures, had her nose done. And I thought, well, there you go. Here's the thing that really matters to this kid. And the drip feed message you've gotten, this is not important. We have to get you into a more elite college. And she actually actually got into the quote-unquote dream school she wanted to go to, all those dreary tests, gets in. And then I get an email from a text from her going into sophomore year, I've switched schools. I've left, that's so why I won't give it to, and I'm now I'm going to the Savannah School of Art and Design. And she was out of her mind happy because, you know, we want, we, we, I, we want people to be successful, including academics, because it's, it, education is good for them and their families and their schools and their church, the whole darn country. And I stand behind everyone being as educated as they reasonably can be. But heaven knows. All these other things are every bit, you know, it, that's 20% of the equation. And if we sacrifice, you know, our happiness, you know, our, our engagement, our relationships, and things that actually matter to us on the high altar of getting into the most academic college, boy. Are we're not serving kids well because, you know, if if getting into an elite college was all it took to be happy, then <laughs> students at Yale would be among the happiest people in the known universe as opposed to 60% of them endorsing symptoms of anxiety and depression. And Laurie Santos having to teach a class on how to be happy, which is the most oversubscribed class in the history of Yale. So, yeah, help your kids be successful academically, but talk to them about things that fully engage them, that give them a sense of meaning. Talk about what gives you a sense of meaning, because it's such there's such an opportunity for us to model a much broader um inputs uh, the much broader inputs that can allow people to really design and live lives that are ultimately happy.
2: Well, and I gotta say, even in a far more kind of cross level in a college counseling world. We have a a world where we often think that getting into any elite college is about accomplishments, Mm. It's only about the list of things I have managed to accomplish. Um, But I got to tell you, I've been doing this a very long time. And the students who have hands down the most successful college process in some of those external ways with all of those highly selective schools and ultimately, absolutely the most successful college experience are the kids who spend time learning about themselves, Mm. who get to know themselves in high school which is truly a time to find your voice to get to know themselves and figure out what they want their purpose to be what is their meaning to develop those relationships to take some risks at a time when it is it is much safer to do so before they go to college when when you get to college that list of of things you are supposed to be accomplishing is not as clear and if you are still looking for those instructions and as you know Ned I joke all the time that I am deeply deeply committed to being a rule follower i love when someone gives me rules i love when (laughs) someone tells me what to do um but we do our kids a disservice if we if we replace those rules and check boxes um uh instead of instead of helping them really find out who they are and what Mm. they're what they want to be engaged in and what their purpose is
1: yeah bill stick should makes a point that he said years ago a dear friend of his said the coolest thing about having a teenager." is watching them every day decide who they wanna be.
2: Oh, I honestly can't think of a better way to finish this, Mr. Johnson. So thanks to Bill. Um, I'm sure you and I could talk about children and brains and anxiety for far longer than anyone wants to listen to us talk about them. And um, this was This was so wonderful, Ned. I really appreciate your time and I feel very honored to be able to make a little bit of a guest spot. Um, well,
1: I couldn't think of anyone more delightful to have as the, as, the, as the guest host today. And it reminds me how grateful I am to have you as a colleague and, and the ways that you work with young people. at such an important and pivotal part of your life. Thank you for listening to Prep Talks. Please subscribe to us for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.